0: by visiting EnterpriseInSpace.org. This is Tim Russ, Lieutenant Commander Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM.
1: Open your mind to the past. Oh, this may mean something.
2: It's a primitive culture. I'm just trying to blend in.
0: Some people think the future means the end of history. Well... We haven't run out of this pretty yet.
3: Hello and welcome to Primitive Culture, a Trek FM podcast all about our history, our culture and how Star Trek relates to it. I'm Duncan Barrett and joining me today is my regular co-host now going forward, Clara Cook. Hi, Clara. Hi, Duncan. And we have a very special guest with us this week. We have Kay Shaw from To The Journey.
1: Hi, Duncan.
3: Hi. I was hoping for, uh, you know, echoes of To The Journey. I know you don't do that <laughs> these days, but... Uh, we don't, I miss that. we don't. I think you I'm should afraid. bring that back. <laughs> I thought Clara well, might give you me know. a little To The Journey. <laughs> Anyway, it's great to have you on board, Kay. It's great to have you on board for this discussion. The topic we are looking at this week is LGBT representation in Star Trek. And it, it, in a way, it's almost, it's a good thing that we can even say representation, because I think if we were having this conversation, you know, a few months ago, we might be saying, uh, LGBT non-representation in Star Trek, because that's a big part of this issue. But obviously, this has been a, a very, contentious a very emotive issue for a lot of star trek fans going back you know a number of decades to i mean i remember when i sort of first got into star trek in the 90s this was something that was in the air then as uh, and never quite was dealt with really satisfactorily and only you know recently have we seen a bit more effort to tackle it and then in the last few weeks you know we've had a real kind of controversy i suppose about discovery and where they seem to be going with certain storylines and alienating certain fans so it seems like it's still an issue that is uh definitely possible for Star Trek to get wrong.
2: So one of the questions I had was Star Trek seemed to be ahead of its time in terms of social change, especially in the 1960s, with representing different uh, ethnic backgrounds. So for instance, Sulu on the bridge, Chekhov on the bridge. And of course, there was that idea of possibly having a female commander, number one. And going forward, it seemed to be ahead of a, in a lot of issues. You know, there was a disabled crew member, when we think of Geordie LaForge. Then there was Cisco, who was like a black commander, and then Janeway, obviously, is a woman in a leadership role. So why is it, do you think, that perhaps, uh, well, not perhaps, but why is it, do you think definitely Star Trek is so behind when it comes to representing the LGBT community on screen?
1: It's a really good question, actually, Clara. And I'm not sure I have a, a really coherent answer to that, because I know that certainly, like, as we all know, on British TV, things came somewhat sooner than they, they had in Star Trek. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, representation in pretty much every other area you could think of absolutely is there at like a time ahead of a lot of other media. So I don't really quite understand. I don't know whether it's like a conservative thing, whether it's sort of a media thing in general in the States as, as opposed to the UK, something like that. I don't really know, but you're absolutely right. It is definitely behind in terms of the social progress of the rest of what we see in the show.
3: There was always this sort of anxiety that, you, you know, it would, it would put people off and they'd get complaint letters from, you know, mums in middle America and so on, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. But I just don't know. I mean, you're right. You know, you say like British TV, it's true. We had, you know, we had towards the end of the nineties, I guess we had Queer as Folk. We had Brookside in the sort of mid nineties, I think. But American TV as well, you know, we had, I mean, I know it was like, like it was a huge big deal when Ellen came out on her show, but you know, that was in the, well, that would be sort of mid-90s, I think. You had shows like Will and Grace, even. You know, in the world of kind of light entertainment and comedy and so on, it seemed like it was becoming much more normal to see gay characters on TV. And yet Star Trek continued to kind of skirt around this issue for a long time. You you know, they would deal with these issues allegorically, but there was this kind of real anxiety about ever actually, you know, showing a gay couple, showing a gay character.
2: I think the allegorical attempt to talk about gay relationships and homosexual relationships and the LGBT community in the Star Trek's attempt to try and talk about it in different ways, I actually think wasn't massively effective. Well, for number one, they should have shown an LGBT person, a character in the show to begin with. But then even if they didn't feel that they could do that at that time, the attempt to sort of tell a story, but in a veiled way, wasn't very good. And I think of some of the examples, some of the episodes that we have, like The Outcast, Rejoined, stigma an example is stigma which is like an attempt to sort of deal with the story of a disease that is caught and spread amongst a particular group of people and they were trying to sort of link that to aids and the gay community which i think is in a way slightly insulting because it's the idea that only people who are gay get aids and that's not true aids is something that everybody should be concerned about so the, the episode was uh, preaching inclusivity and preaching like equality and acceptance of a community that are, is different and is behaving differently and therefore suffering from the fallout uh, of, of an illness or a disease. I don't think it fits with the AIDS metaphor. Like, I, I, mm. so, so that's just an ex- one example, but another example would be Rejoined or The Outcast. I mean, what do you guys think of those episodes? Do you think they address or um, explore LGBT issues
1: effectively? I think The Outcast Whilst the message is definitely there and the positive message of, you know, we are like everybody else, we live our lives in many of the same ways as you do, you know, we're not something to be feared or looked at differently. I think it kind of fails in the sense that at the end, they, in inverted commas, cure her. And there's not a positive outcome from it. I think if they'd have gone for a more positive outcome, I think it would have been more effective. But the gay message is very veiled there because obviously we're not really talking about sexuality. We're talking about gender, which is a different issue, even though the two can be related. But they're going for like the gay rights message there. That was very explicitly what the writers stated they were doing with that episode, if you look into the background of it. So I think it kind of succeeds in some ways, but in other ways... It falls a bit flat. So they, they tried, but it doesn't quite get all of the way there for me.
3: I mean, personally, for me, I I feel like individually, I actually have more time for those episodes than I think a lot of people do. Mm. And I don't know if that's partly from sort of going back to, you know, my memories of watching them in the 90s in part. I mean, I do think there's an issue that, you know, there is this kind of trope with gay representation on TV of kind of having these sort of tragic stories that never have a happy end ever after yeah. ending and I certainly felt that I felt that today you know watching these episodes back to back you know <laughs> yeah. it, it really put a downer on my day basically because all of these episodes they have the same <laughs> tragic ending basically you have this romance that you're rooting for you want these people to get together and then it goes horribly wrong and it's all awful and, and <laughs> you know and they always end <laughs> yeah. with someone sort of looking you know pained at the camera and, and you kind of empathizing with their, their misery so I do definitely I get the objection from that point of view on the other hand I do think that I think they're both quite they're quite moving in a way. I mean, they do sort of make their case. I think, say, the outcast, you know, the, the character in that, Soren gives this quite sort of powerful speech. It's, you know, it's a kind of, it's a Shylock speech, basically. It's saying, you know, we're the same as you. We do the same things you do. She says, you know, we, we worry about growing old. We, we, you know, talk about our families and how they're annoying us. I mean, it's a very, I think that in some ways it's, it's kind of simplistic, but at the same time, it is making an important point. And it may be a point that members of the audience might you know, take something from that they wouldn't have have taken in a way. And I think Rejoined, again, is I I understand why people have issues with it and they sort of feel like, well, yeah, they're doing the, the gay story, but they were straight in a previous life, so it's not really a gay story. And it's got all this kind of hedging going on. On the other hand, I also sort of think, you know, Star Trek has always used allegory. I mean, like, it wasn't subtle in the original series when they had the people with black and white sides of their face, but it doesn't mean it didn't necessarily... You know, do some kind of good work in terms of making people think or kind of opening something up. And I do think that in Rejoined, there are—I think there are a lot of good things in that episode. And I think that it is just purely as a piece of drama. I mean, if you take away this this thing of you, you know why does it always have to have a tragic ending? If you just take that as an episode on its own, and you know, see it in the context of Deep Space Nine. A lot of Deep Space Nine has tragic endings. Deep Space Nine is all about sort of loss and pain and difficulties and, and, you know, things not working out and so on. And I think sort of as a Deep Space Nine episode or just as a piece of television, it's really good. I mean, on its own terms, I think it's very dramatic. It's kind of heartbreaking. It's, you know, it's very well acted, very well directed. So I sort of feel like my personal feeling is that sometimes these, these episodes get a hard, are given a bit of a hard time because... Yes, we would prefer that they went further. And yes, we would prefer that they took the more straightforward step of actually having gay characters, which, you know, up until Discovery, well, up until Beyond, I suppose, but, you know, properly up until Discovery, they haven't done. At the same time, if you take them as these kind of allegorical stories, I think they're they're good Star Trek in a way, even if they're not necessarily serving the interests of that community as well as they might be doing.
2: It's sort of like Star Trek's whispering about sexual quality. And then it's only recently that Star Trek's actually started speaking out loud about it with Discovery. I, th- I do agree with you on one point, which is I do think that Star Trek has repeatedly done this situation where it's presenting like episodes like the, like the outcast and stigma of mostly focusing on the discrimination of people who engage in sexual behavior that is deemed to be outside their society. So in a way, it's, it's never allowing like a gay storyline to be a storyline where there's someone who's gay and it's okay and they're just gay and they're living a normal life like Colbert and Stamets brushing their teeth you know and like and also what I liked about that's that couple in in discovery is that their sexual identity isn't the only thing about them Stamets is interested in science Culber is passionate about being a good doctor and the fact that they're both gay isn't like the sole thing about their identity whereas you often see gay characters on television or in films and it's like they're wearing a big neon sign above their heads that say you know i'm the gay (laughs) character um and i think that's doing Mm. i I think that's doing the lgbt community a disservice really
1: yeah absolutely yeah because you wouldn't expect a straight character to be walking around with a sign saying i'm the straight character Mm. (laughs) and it's exactly as ridiculous as that that's how i see it anyway but I totally agree with you on what's happening now in Discovery. You know, it's great to see the fact that we have that there and ignoring what's happened in the last couple of episodes, just to talk about what happened before that, because I think we'll get onto that a little bit later. But it's just nice to see that there and it just being and just existing. And it's not part of the storyline, really, at all. It's nothing to do with what's going on in the story any more than Lorca and Cornwell's relationship, is, which is probably more to do with the story and you know Tyler and Burnham's relationship which is more to do with the story because both of those do have elements to do with what's going on in the story but it's just is there it exists it's a thing they're in a relationship and it's just very organic so i appreciate that a lot in that way that really they didn't draw masses of attention to it and i did hear a couple of people when they had the first kind of teeth brushing scene there were various people saying, oh, why didn't they have a kiss? Why didn't they have a kiss? And all this type of thing. And I'm like, no, I'm really glad they didn't because, you know, people don't kiss when they're brushing their teeth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're just brushing so. their teeth. Let's just see them doing that. Let's not just have a kiss because if you'd done that, you would have made it into something that you were highlighting, whereas they didn't make it into something they were highlighting. It was no different to what you'd see if you were just seeing a scene in a bathroom that was part of the plot and the person's partner happened to be there, which which is what it was.
3: It's almost it's almost, you know, what we should have got with Miles and Keiko O'Brien, a kind of normal yeah. functional relationship. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> exactly because it's not yeah, they might argue about this or that or whatever, but there's there is no real kind of huge drama around the relationship. It's even it's not, you know, even Dax and Wharf or or Tom and Bellana or, you know, one of these sort of fiery, tempestuous relationships. It is mm. a much more real relationship in a sense. And that was obviously quite a calculated decision, I think, to introduce that relationship. Through something so kind of ordinary and and everyday. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen people brush their teeth on Star Trek before. You know, it's extremely mundane. Uh, And that's definitely a a decision to try and say, look, this is, you know, just as normal as it would be for anyone else. It's not, it's not a big deal. We're not, you know, yes, we're the show that's doing the gay character, but we're, or the gay characters, but we're not kind of making a big deal out of it. Frankly, the time for making a big deal out of it would have been 20 years ago and, you know. Yeah if they did make a big thing out of that now, I think it would seem kind of silly in a way because they're so behind the curve. So
2: but one of the things that struck me as very strange is my reaction to some of these episodes, watching them now in 2018 versus when I watched them back in the 90s when I was younger. So in my own experience, I would say I am much more aware of like the LGBT community now than I was when I was younger. And part of that is because of the movement of LGBT rights and uh, and the Ground that's been gained there, but also just the fact that I'm educated better than I Mm -hmm. was when I was a teenager. So when I watched The Outcast when I was younger, I thought it was this fantastic episode addressing like the idea of a genderless society, the sort of how people feel when different than compared to what they're supposed to be in society. But watching it now and thinking, knowing it's in the context of the 24th century. I struggle with some of it. So some of the scenes where Riker is talking to Soren and he's talking about like, what should I call you? I can't call you it. And actually at work now and a lot of workplaces, but specifically my workplace, which is in higher education. So it's like a public institution. We have been trained on how to use um, gender neutral pronouns. Mm. So when I was watching Mm. that episode now, I sort of felt, you mean they don't know how to use gender neutral pronouns in the 24th century? (laughs) You like what? Mm. And I wonder a little bit if it's hard to look back on Star Trek that was made in the past and judge it with the awareness that we have now and the understanding of of the societies we have now.
3: I think it's interesting that you, you know, you said, you were saying now you're more familiar with the LGBT community. I mean, and I know that, you know, there are other letters that, that we could add to that list, but I mean, I think part of it is there was no LGBT community in those days. I mean, that's quite a recent thing. When I was going to university, for example, there would have been an LGB society. There wasn't any yeah. mention of tea, you know, the idea of kind of, I mean, and that's not to say that people weren't aware of the idea that some people might be trans, but it wasn't, you know, there wasn't that kind of movement. We were that, that step behind in a sense. So I think that, you know, these 90s Star Trek episodes, yes, they were sort of trying to address, you know, sort of gay representation in in one way or another. I mean, interestingly, in some of those issues, we look at back at them now, we might see them more as kind of as trans issues. And a lot of them are sort of about gender and this whole thing about pronouns. I mean, the issue about pronouns comes up almost every time Star Trek tries to deal with this issue. So there are all these difficulties with pronouns in The Outcast. There are difficulties with pronouns in Rejoined. I mean, the pronouns and, and it's, Quite interesting. That's that like quite nice scene between the two of them where they, they, they keep correcting themselves. She keeps saying, you know, you did this and it made me nervous. And then she says, no, when he, he did this, it made, yeah. it made her nervous. And it's all, it's like the, the fact that the pronouns are confused are sort of symbolic of the fact that their emotions are confused in a sense. And then we have this thing in cogenitor and enterprise, even where, you know, they have this, you know, non-gendered, uh, being and they sort of start off calling it it. And then there's an interesting thing that happens. I mean, First of all, of course, Trip, what, what always happens where, you know, there's a male character who gets to know one of these androgynous characters is they basically, which is always played by a woman, is that they assume that they're female and they start yeah. calling them she rather than it at a certain point. It's interesting in that Enterprise episode, it's actually Dr. Flox, I think, who first calls the co-genitor she. And it comes exactly at the point where they've done this brain scan they've discovered that the co-genitor is not just a, a sort of dumb animal in a sense, but is mentally as capable as... You know, is a kind of sentient species as any of them. And he's, he's worked this out from the, the brain scan. And then suddenly he starts shifting into using this word she, which we've been told is not appropriate and is not the right word for these beings. It's interesting that there, there seems to be this sort of inability to, Clara, like you're saying, you know, you, you might have to be trained in the idea of using gender neutral pronouns. And, you know, I know some, you know, some people, they don't refer to themselves as he or she, they refer to themselves as they. But Star Trek seems to have a real problem with this. And I don't know if you're familiar with those books, New Frontier books, but there was a character in those books, and this was back in the '90s, who was a hermaphrodite and had a whole different set of words. So it was like instead of his or her, it was hish, and instead of he or she, I think it was like s slash he. So, but so the, the whole every paragraph written about that character had to incorporate all these unfamiliar pronouns in order to constantly emphasize that that was what this being was. You know, it couldn't be reduced to either a he or a she.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and. The thing is that it, it when you first come to the idea of the fact that there are people who don't want to use he or she and they prefer to use a different pronoun they there are a whole bunch of other ones that people use but I think they is quite a common one. It it's tricky because you're not used to it and you know you your brain has to really try and condition itself to to get used to using different pronouns. You don't realize until you're put to that challenge how often you use pronouns and you're just used to it being one or the other. It's very tricky, and it and it does take a while. But you know, it's something that just with practice you get there, sort of thing. But you know, like you say, it is odd that in the twenty fourth century, when we have a whole plethora of different species, races, all different genders, all different sort of planets, etc., that they haven't gotten over that yet. You'd think that they would have encountered that issue on numerous previous occasions. And also the fact that hopefully when we get to the 24th century for humans, ignoring every other race or species we might meet just for humans, hopefully everybody's gotten much cooler with the idea of using all sorts of different pronouns by then, because it's just whatever people prefer to be called by.
2: So we've kind of touched upon like trans issues, not a huge amount, but a little bit. And we have also touched on gender. What I was wanted to ask you guys about was about different kinds of sexual relationships. So, I know that some characters, like for instance, I know that Phlox isn't necessarily shown as being bisexual, but he's in a polyamorous relationship. So technically his wife has lots of husbands and I don't think he has more than one wife. Does he? I don't think. Yeah, I think he I does. I think he has three, doesn't he? Does. Oh, okay. I think yeah. is
3: it three or four. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely got a few.
2: And although that scene is kind of strange by Trip, it, it is expressed in the show uh, in Enterprise as being something that's completely natural for the Mm. Denobilians. So it's something that is, I assume, accepted in the 24th century. But then there's also... Like, Garrick is an example as well. I know that Andrew Robinson originally portrayed Garrick as...
3: Omnisexual? Omnisexual. Pansexual,
2: pansexual yeah. He,
3: he's like, I mean, I, I've seen him described as the sort of gay uncle character, basically. I think there is that kind of element. His relationship with Bashir is quite... I always found it surprising when he hooked up with Zial later on, because it did seem like he was not not necessarily explicitly a gay character, but that that was kind of...
1: He put
2: out that know, impression. sort yeah. of
3: understood. Yeah, he definitely gave that impression.
2: But
1: maybe he's bisexual, so.
2: <laughs> but then Robinson has been quoted as saying that there was like a resistance to that. So afterwards he then,
1: mm.
2: you know, went into this storyline where he falls in love with or has a sort of a relationship with a, a young woman. And I wonder where is that resistance coming from? Because the question I have is like, it seems like throughout Star Trek history, the fran- throughout the history of the franchise, there has been fans lobbying for Gay characters, And and not just gay characters, different types of sexual relationships in the series. And that there is obviously a lot of fan fiction online that's written by fans that includes they call it slash fan fiction, which includes a lot of different pairings amongst different genders and different kinds of sexual relationships. So where is that resistance coming from? Is it that the producers think that the only people that were watching it at the time, their target audience, was a bunch of straight men in middle America, or is it that is it generally that people weren't watching on American TV at that time, like gay characters on television?
3: Well, I think it's varied over time. Maybe it would be helpful for us to sort of go, you know, right back to the beginning at this stage and and try and sort of track this issue as it's kind of reared its head through various iterations of star trek because i think it you know it is something that has kind of popped up and then you know maybe not always satisfactorily but it we can kind of trace how we've got from there to here so to speak apparently i saw an interview with george takei where he said he actually had a conversation with gene roddenberry about it while the original series was on the air uh and he said you know he wasn't out at the time so it was all a bit of a guarded conversation but he basically said you know i know you're committed to civil rights and and you know kind of anti-racism and so on what's your sort of feeling? about gay rights and whether that's something that Star Trek could tackle and Roddenberry basically apparently said to him then yeah you know I would like to do that but they're looking for any excuse to cancel this show I'm going to have to be a bit more cautious by this stage because it was kind of getting towards the end of all that And I mean, I know later on in his life, Roddenberry, you know, would often set conventions and so on. Oh, yes, we're going to have a gay character. We're going to bring gay characters onto the enterprise. And the emphasis seemed then to be pretty much what we've got with Discovery. It's going to be normal. It's going to be just kind of every day. It's not going to be some big thing. It's not going to be some big allegory or whatever. It's just, you know, sort of recognising that that's a normal part of culture of society. And he said some quite interesting things himself, I think. If you look at the book, The Last Conversation, which was an interview with Roddenberry shortly before he died... This is what he said about his own sexuality. He said, I'm sorry that I've never had a homosexual relationship. There must be many joys and pleasures and degrees of closeness in those relationships. So he was sort of almost saying that, you know, if he'd been born in a, in a later period, that that might be something that, that would have been a part of his own experience. And obviously we know Roddenberry as, you know, this kind of womanizing, uh, character. It's kind of interesting. He'd kind of come to that point. I mean, I think he also talked at other times about having kind of gone along with a degree of kind of homophobic, you know, sort of joshing and, and sort of banter and that kind of thing when he was younger that he later came to feel badly about. But his idea was definitely, I think, to kind of just basically put some gay characters on the ship, whether in the background or whether in the foreground or whatever, and just sort of bring that into the Star Trek universe. But then, fortunately, he died before that ever happened. And I think ever since, we've had that kind of legacy of there being kind of resistance to doing that. And there, maybe they're not having been that kind of figurehead around still to sort of push that forward somehow
1: yeah i think you might be right there it's interesting what you said that he actually said there because i didn't know that so i might have to check that book out but yeah it's interesting that that's something that he he felt at the end of his life that it was something something he wished that he'd explored so it kind of informs you a bit more about him as a person and kind of his thoughts about creating a show that challenged thinking and even though he didn't go in that particular direction you know, he challenged a lot of other perceptions so that's interesting that's an interesting thing about him but I, I don't know why it is that more than any of the other issues that we see on Star Trek it's kind of the one that they just didn't really go for I don't know whether it's just because like rights for people of different races for example you can't say to somebody oh you know you you can't be off that race because that is just blatantly what they are because you can see it so therefore the the progression for that is. Not that it's any easier. I'm not saying it's easier because I know there's a lot of hard fought stuff there, just as there is in in all sorts of issues. But it's more visible, so you can't deny that that's what the person is because you can see it. And and the same with women's rights as well. You know, you can see that that person is a woman. You know, that it's not something that you can try and pretend isn't there. And I think with with sort of LGBT community for a lot of years. And and we're still there in some ways, but, you know, we, we're getting over it now. Certainly in the UK, we're, we're, we're getting over it. But, I mean, other parts of the world are having a lot more issues still. But it's people even trying to deny that it exists. You know, oh, you're talking nonsense. This isn't what you are. You're making this up. It's an abomination and we'll cure you and we'll fix you and, and all the rest of it. And I think because of the fact that it's that... And the fact that if they were to bring on a black character or they would bring a woman into a position of of command, people couldn't push back against that saying, well, that person doesn't exist. That thing isn't a thing. Why are you showing this to me? That's an abomination because those people blatantly exist. And I think it's because it's something that you can't see. And because the interpretation of some people in certain religious areas is that this isn't something that is acceptable that that is one of the reasons why I think it's been so kind of pushed to the back burner. And it's like, well, we just, as much as we have been a pioneer of, of social progress and showing things before we get there, there was just some cold feet, I think, about doing that. And and fear, I think, of being the first ones to do that because of the reprisal or the, the fear of the reprisal that might come from that.
3: It's like that sort of invisibility is almost... Possible. And I think it's kind of interesting, you know, and therefore you can have this situation where you have a character like Garrick who, you know, in some ways maybe is kind of coded as a gay character, even if no one's ever going to openly acknowledge that on screen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you have this kind of sense of of these sort of hidden, uh, this sort of subtext, So there might be a kind of gay subtext almost. And I think it's interesting, you know, Clara was talking about slash writers, you know, and slash writers go back to that period where the original series went off the air and before, you know, before the motion picture, that kind of period where it was in syndication, it was in reruns and so on, and where Star Trek really became a big thing. And that was very much mm. an attempt to, it's a kind of resistant reading in a sense, to, to read something into Star Trek that wasn't really there, you, you know, and say, oh, well, yes, secretly Kirk and Spock were having this sexual relationship and and that's the thing that we kind of want to focus on it's this sort of fantasy of a of a version of star trek that that never quite existed on the other hand then you do see it kind of feed in later on to the point where by the time you get star trek five they have that moment not in front of the klingons which is kind of an almost an acknowledgement of this of this sort of interpretation that's out there that they've got this kind of relationship Uh, i mean it's kind of like an in-joke but it's sort of almost incorporating that into the story on some level or at least kind of nodding and winking to it and i think it's interesting in terms of you know i think when you had those slash fans and there were a lot of them you you know producing this work producing these zines putting a lot of effort into these stories and illustrations and everything and then you had obviously other fans who probably thought they were mad and you know didn't really appreciate it and didn't like this kind of approach that they were taking because they were very much trying to sort of you know shaped star trek into something they wasn't in some ways with those characters they weren't just adding a gay character who who would fit in in that way that we're talking about they were actually saying look you know yeah you might not have seen it on screen but this is what was really going on and and kind of trying to reinterpret it like that but you know they were a very big movement and they had a big impact on you know not just star trek fandom but fandom generally and i think a lot of Mm. fan fiction as we understand it these days on the internet and so on owes its kind of Origin to those, those zines and to those, and particularly to these, Absolutely. you know, frankly, pornographic stories. You know, they're not just romance stories. They're mm-hmm. quite sort of hard pornography, basically, that these generally straight middle aged yep. women were writing uh, all <laughs> over America. So it's a kind of, you know, it's a bizarre cultural phenomenon that, that came about off the back of Star Trek, even if it's not sort of part of the official, you know, canonical Star Trek story, that it's kind of, you know, it, it, it it's this, very strange, interesting phenomenon. that's kind of tagged on the side of it.
2: So I think one of the reasons why slash fan fiction is something that is really big, and it's not as big as Star Trek, it's big in a lot of fandoms, is because we live in a mm-hmm. very sexualized society. And so whenever there's... And romantic love is very much linked to sexual love, but there's also... I guess... So, the, so we use the host as an example of this. This is a strange episode for me, the mm-hmm. host, where Beverly Crusher falls in love with a Trill whose host changes multiple times. And by the end of it, she just can't be with the the ambassador, his Trill ambassador. She can't be with him at the end because he's changed bodies so many times. And I think you're supposed to think that the fact that he's changed bodies so many times is kind of what disturbs her more than the fact that that he's actually in a female body by the end of it. Mm -hmm. But when I watched that episode, one of the things that really struck me is disturbing more than the idea of it being a female body is that she actually was okay with it essentially having a, a, a like a sort of sexual relationship with her trill lover in Riker's body yeah and so in my mind l- love is a very complicated thing, and it's not for me it's not so much it's not so much the idea that that, that the gender is the same, or the gender is different. I think if I was Crusher, I think I wouldn't have such a problem with the female body, the chill being in the female body. I'd have more of a problem with the fact that I was having a sexual experience with somebody that was like my coworker, who I was, you know, who one of my close friends had had a relationship with, who I essentially saw as somebody who I was friends with. The more, rather than it being a, uh, the same gender as me, and so that's one of the things I think is interesting about the fa- about slash fan fiction is that people are trying to make a very close romantic love into something sexual. And I think that's because we live in a very sexualized society. And I do think that the relationship between Kirk and Spock is more than just brothers. It's more than just friends. I mean they spend their entire lives together practically. They do the all the adventures they have together, the things that they sacrifice for each other. And I've seen this again and again in T V series um and films throughout my entire life that I've watched, are these very close relationships between men, these very close close relationships between women that are more than just friendships. They are like romantic love. And when I think about like my mm. my best friend, um, who's a woman, I don't want to be in a relationship, sexual relationship with her, but I definitely feel more for her than I would feel for a sister. I feel more for her than I feel for a friend. It is There is like a soulmate aspect to it. Mm. Like we are very, very close. And... I think what happens is with with slash fan fiction is that people look at that romantic relationship and they they don't differentiate between what's a romantic love and what's a sexual love and they so they have to put a sexual element into it. I am not denying that some of slash fan fiction is turning the sort of heterosexual like norm of Star Trek on its head and trying to add like a like a gay element which I definitely am not against but I've seen a lot of TV series where there's been two men who have basically been in love with each other and may possibly could have a sexual relationship, but because the producers are too frightened of alienating an audience, and it is primarily straight men that they're worried about alienating, they will say, you know, these men are like brothers, you know, Mm. you know, that they, you know, they're friends with each other. And the two men are looking at each other like, they're in love with each other, you know, but there can't be any sex. There can't be any sex. And um, the idea that people can't differentiate between what's romantic love and what's sexual love just like astounds me. So I do think that Kirk and Spock are in love. They're just not sexually in love with each other. Does that make sense? They're not
3: sexually yeah. involved. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get that, of course, in in Deep Space Nine. Again, I mean, you know, the other kind of, um, you know, Bashir is basically involved in in both these kind of uh, subtextual relationships in a way. But again, there's this kind of teasing, you know, with that scene where uh, O'Brien basically admits he'd rather spend time with Bashir than with his wife. And, you know, they're always kind of, they're quite uncomfortable about it, because they're both obviously these heterosexual guys, and they're sort of... They're, they're aware that their relationship is unusually close in a way, at least for the two of them, you know, it, it, it seems like maybe a closer relationship than they were expecting to have somehow more meaningful. And I think it's very much in that kind of Kirk and Spock model. I mean, it's true, you're, you're right, so it, it's not that it comes from nowhere and that but it is at the same time Clara, I don't know if you, did you have a look at that book, NASA Trek, that I sent you? Yeah, you
2: know, I'm, I'm going to just admit right now I don't know how she managed to like link sex, NASA and Star Trek all together. <laughs> i was like what
3: with a slash that's the thing you can do anything with a slash well this is a book by constance penley which is about um we 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 were looking at it because we're doing we're doing Uh. a forthcoming episode yeah this is sort of what i was, was gearing towards we're doing a forthcoming episode on um on nasa and star trek and so i was sort of looking in terms of that and i had a spare copy so i sent it to clara but actually i was thinking in terms of this you know there's a big part of that book which is all about the slash phenomenon which is why it's called nasa slash you know nasa trek the idea of nasa and star trek have this weird slash relationship And it's quite striking because I I sent it to you and and you were saying you're having a chance to read it and I said, well, be careful if you read it at work because some of the pictures in this book are quite shocking or at least explicit. I mean, just to show, just for Kay's benefit, uh, <laughs> not for the benefit of the listeners, but I mean, so they, they, they range from like, I'm just going to hold up this book to the, to, to the picture. So these are the kind of more romantic things that I suppose okay. Clara's talking about. So this is Kirk and Spock, you know, sort Having of hugging and, and, and it's all yes. quite sweet. Exactly. You've got this one where they're, they're sharing a nice glass of champagne, but then if you turn Aww. the page, Which you, you might end do. up you here.
1: <laughs> oh, right. Okay.
2: I, uh, yeah, that, that's,
1: which is, that's out know, there. It's, it's I, I, that I, you don't really expect. I to, opened that go.
2: page up on the tube. I'm just going to say, I was like, <laughs> a very, very crowded tube train, and I was like,
3: okay, okay, <laughs> let's not look at that then. I, could, I I don't think we can even really describe uh, what's happening in this picture without y- 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 affecting nudity. Our, our
1: nudity. Our, There's uh, nudity. You know, our,
3: our rating, but it's yeah, it's a, it's a fairly explicit, um, <laughs> and you know sort of sexy image, basically, <laughs> uh, of the two of them. And, and, and I suppose that's, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know, I was just thinking, Clara, you were saying about other fandoms and so on, having this kind of slash phenomenon. And I don't know whether, I mean, I know you're very into the X-Files. I, I don't know what the fan fiction is like for the X-Files, but I know that, say, watching on screen, one of the things that's interesting about that relationship between Mulder and Scully on screen is there's a lot of kind of teasing, a lot of kind of subtext and a lot of like, is there that there must be more going on than maybe what we're seeing on screen but we're really not being shown very much of it it's a kind of resistance to showing the audience very much and obviously you know these days we have different kind of expectations with tv and sexuality and how much we're going to get shown and how kind of it's not as coy as it used to be where you know you can represent sex by captain kirk putting his boots on the next morning or whatever you know you can actually have you know you think of something like game of thrones or you know a lot of modern tv you know you do get kind of sex on screen. But I mean, it's interesting when it comes to, you know, LGBT relationships and, and you know, same sex on screen, that I think still is quite... A taboo area in some ways in terms of the culture. I mean, I, I know, mm. you know, for example, when the film Broke Mountain came out, that was a kind of maybe a bit of a turning point that was quite controversial to a lot of people. I mean, thinking about, say, you know, we were talking about this, these gay characters on TV in the nineties around the time that we're thinking Star Trek was kind of failing in this issue. You know, yeah, we had car- you know, we had things like Will and Grace, we had things like Ellen, we had these quite safe, not particularly sexy kind of representations of uh, same-sex relationships. But then you got something like Queer as Folk towards the end mm. of the 90s. And that was really quite shocking, I think, because it was very yeah. sexual. It was very kind of, I was going to say graphic. I don't know if it's graphic exactly, but it, it, it is. In a sense, it's, it's like, it, you know, it probably shocked people at the time more than some of these kind of safer, tamer kind of representations.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say it was graphic in the sense that, you know, you see it a lot. But in terms mm. of the representation of what is obviously going on, and how sort of the forcefulness of it it's not airbrushed it's very real it's very in your face it's very immediate in that way and it's not in the way that a lot of soft sex scenes are on TV mm. airbrushed and kind of gentle and quiet and you know not at all realistic mm. you know it's quite realistic it's it's quite immediate in that sense so you, you really do get it's rather than se-
3: romantic yeah do you know what I mean it's like it's 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 about desire it's about the sort of yeah. passion and so on, rather than about the kind of romance and the relationship and so on.
2: Well, you you could say the same for like Orange is the New Black. Yeah, like mm. the sex scenes in Orange. I mean, I know it hasn't caused as much of a controversy as Queer as Folk, but because mm. we've moved on, like in terms of like yeah. what people deem as, as acceptable on television. But um, mm. Orange is the New Black has got some quite graphic sex scenes, but none of them, I would say, are. Like, I don't think any of it's in bad taste, you know what I mean? Like, For me, bad taste sex Mm. scenes are stuff that are just laughably ridiculous. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to lie, like Fifty Shades of Grey. Or, um, (laughs) you know, or very violent, you know, unless they're making some sort of point about sexual violence. So I think... In Orange is the New Black, they just seemed like very natural. And I think that's kind of yeah. the thing that mm-hmm. I think maybe Queer as Folk was trying to do as well.
3: Mm. And there is romance in Orange is the New Black as well. Oh, because yeah. You, you know, you do get like the, I was going to do a spoil. I, I don't even want to spoil it. Anyway, there, 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 there was a, <laughs> certainly a, a one, at least one very romantic couple in Orange is the New Black, which was was shown in a much more kind of romantic Mold, I suppose, than that. But yeah, I think you're. I think you're right, Clara. There's definitely this kind of sense of realism about it, I suppose, and also the fact that in that program there is a kind of sense that. And I don't really know how this plays into kind of the sort of political issues around LGBT representation, but there is this fact that there a lot of these are you know they're women in a prison. They're in there for a long time. There's this sense that mm. a lot of them are having gay relationships that they wouldn't have had in the outside world. You know, there is a kind yeah. of situational element to it. There.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing as well that we can relate. To- this is the fact that around the same time as queer as folk was happening in the uk we had our own women's prison drama called bad girls and that showed Mm. a lot of lesbian relationships and you know women encountering women having relationships with other women for the first time and how they reacted to that and the fact that they were maybe looking to other women for comfort because they were away from their families and all the rest of it so there was an awful lot going on there and that's really like it's it's a very similar melting pot to Orange is the New Black, even though it's done with more of a British spin than with an American spin. So there's differences there. But, you know, there's a lot of parallels. And and that came out the same year as Queer as Folk, which was 1999.
2: So I, I mm-hmm. actually remember there being an interview on, I think it was on Newsnight with the uh, Queer as Folk. And I remember it caused such controversy that mm. the people were interviewing this guy on the news, asking him, Like, is this a fair representation of the gay community? Is this something you want to present? Because obviously there was drug taking in the series and there was casual sex. And and his response was, well, actually, straight people take drugs and straight people have casual sex too. It's just the only reason you're objecting to it in this series is because Mm -hmm. there's also gay sex in it. And it's the gay sex that's Mm -hmm. shocking you and you're choosing to take issue with that. And I thought that was quite an interesting point for him to make, that actually in lots of... TV series or films where there's a heterosexual story, we actually also see like bad things, but no one yeah. really takes issue with it mm-hmm. because it's heterosexual sex. So, and that's kind of what people were comfortable with seeing on, sc- on screen. And some of the explicit scenes, there are explicit scenes in Star Trek. If you think about T'Pol like disrobing, I'm not so explicit, mm-hmm. but she's definitely naked, you know. Um, and yeah. so we're going to get a naked mm-hmm. like female Vulcan, but like God forbid there should be two men kiss do you know what i mean like two men kissing is yeah. it's like horrifying but a, a, na- a <laughs> naked vulcan who's going to have casual sex with her co-worker <laughs> and what if trip didn't want it you know i mean she's coming on to it, it
3: you know They what that man do you remember do you remember on the old like uh, 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 you used to whenever you got a video out for you know they used to have that man who would stand up and he'd he'd say this video has been rated 15 it may contain uh <laughs> strong language and some sexy scenes. <laughs> that was obviously the expression that he used. Some sexy scenes is, it's, it's or like very brief scenes, nudity. Oh, gosh, so, I remember so there that. Might not, there might not be nudity, but you get, you get the <laughs> odd sexy scenes. Um, and I suppose <laughs> there's also this element with you know <laughs> with, with these kind of subtextual uh, gay characters, someone like Garrick, that, that does sort of play into a kind of a cultural idea of like the... You know, the eternal bachelor, the character who's kind of, who's sort of coded as gay, but is also sexless in a sense. So You don't really expect him to ever have a sexual relationship. Mm. You expect him to kind of, because he is, you know, different sexually to other people, he kind of is almost step back from it somehow and i think with garrick that's why you get this idea of garrick as that you know the gay uncle or whatever he's kind of you don't expect him to get involved in which is maybe another reason why it's surprising when he gets together with zial because you don't really expect him to get involved in a in a relationship with anyone because he seems like that sort of confirmed bachelor kind of yeah character somehow he seems to play into that sort of stereotype absolutely
1: and i was really really surprised actually when he had that relationship with zial i don't feel like it I mean, I know that mm. they have a close relationship prior to that, but I, don't, I never saw it that way. I saw it as a no. very different type of relationship. So I'm not sure whether that ever really worked for me. But, yeah, that was quite surprising. And like you say, you know, you can read a lot into Garek's character and the way that he's presented and how he is. Maybe rightly, maybe wrongly, because we're mm. probably being very stereotypical by saying that, you know, but the the, the signs potentially are there. But then you then you sort of get into this difficulty of how do you show that a character is gay or bisexual without them being in a relationship and and how do you, or having them actually explicitly say it or tell somebody how do you do that like you you can't really because mm. the majority of people will read a character straight until they're told otherwise mm. so you can't really unless you put them into a relationship or you have them talk about it, you can't really easily show it. So that's a tricky one.
3: This was sort of the issue with Sulu in Beyond as Mm. well, wasn't it? Was there was this kind of, you know, there was sort of a backlash to the idea of Sulu being gay and Beyond or, you know, having this gay relationship. And, uh, you know, and even George Takei was sort of saying, well, you know, I think it's great for Star Trek to have a gay character, but Sulu's not gay as far as I'm concerned. And then other people were sort of saying, well, how do you know? Because, you know, just because we've never seen him, uh, I mean... I can't even remember if we ever saw him in a straight relationship you, you know there, there was just an absence of information even mm. if we had he might be bisexual do you know what I mean you can't really in a way you can't make that assumption I think it's interesting what that comment that Gene Roddenberry was making about wishing that he'd had a gay relation he also said he his sort of belief was that in essence everyone was kind of bisexual or potentially bisexual and it was to do with their upbringing and their culture and all these things you know that's and that again it would might be a controversial view in some ways but I wonder if that's also one of the things that Beverly Crusher is sort of hinting at towards the end of the host because she says I think it's difficult it puts her in this awkward position because as Clara pointed out, she's happy to get together with Riker when Riker is carrying the the guy that she's in love with. When it turns out to be a woman, she's just like sorry I can't do that and it's kind of like and and on one level you sort of feel disappointed yeah. by her Um and she does say you know maybe at one point in the future these things won't be you, you know this will be, will be more open to other possibilities or whatever and she also it's a very confusing scene she also tries to kind of slightly deflect it by by implying that it's not about the fact that it's a woman and it's mm. the fact that you know, she says, I, I just can't keep up. You know, you keep changing all these times. You know, how am I going to know who you're going to be next? And yeah, you, that that's not really that convincing. But at the same time, is there... I mean, leaving aside the fact that Riker is her friend and so on, if we assume that, every, as far as we know, Beverly is heterosexual, mm. it, are we expecting her to be happy to have a, a you know, relationship mm. with another woman or to be able to do that? And is that really fair to expect that in order to kind of conform to this kind of egalitarian utopian ideal is that sort of almost going too far and and it kind of it raises this interesting question you were talking about orange is the new black one of the interesting characters in orange is the new black is you know the trans character and when you go into the backstory of that character you know he was a or she was previously a he who was a fireman and we see the relationship that he had with his wife at that time and then obviously you know so she was in the situation of being married to someone who decides that you know really he's a woman and needs to go through that transition and so on and what do you do in that situation because that is the closest real world situation to mm. some of these star trek stories that you get like in rejoined or you get in um you know in the host of actually being in a relationship with someone being married to someone and then their gender potentially changing and whether yeah. that you know is your relationship able to kind of transcend that or not and i think that's quite a complicated yeah question that there isn't necessarily an easy answer to no. I And mean, so in some ways i feel a bit sorry for beverly in that episode because i feel like she's she's sort of representing a kind of failure and, and she's she's taking kind of star trek's failure on some level yeah and maybe like from a kind of character point of view, we maybe we should cut her a bit of slack there, you know, that, yeah. that she didn't feel able to do that.
1: Absolutely. And I think I have heard people say about that episode, oh, you know, isn't it homophobic of her that she won't date the woman? Mm. I'm like, no, because basically that's like saying it's homophobic to be straight, which of course it isn't because that's mm. just mm. how you are attracted to people sexually. You know, you you're, you're attracted to the opposite sex and that is absolutely fine. Just like it's absolutely fine to be attracted to the same sex or a mixture of both or, you know, any sex because obviously we recognize more than two genders these days you know and any of those um so i think it's it's th- it's definitely almost pushed on us that that is a bit homophobic of it that oh look because it's a woman now she doesn't want to date her isn't that bad of her and maybe one day she'll get over that well imagine if you flip the coin and said oh well now the gay character won't date the the you know the gay woman won't date the man isn't that awful one day maybe we'll get her to do that and it's mm. like that's not okay so why is it okay to say it the way <laughs> no it's not okay at all yeah. it's absolutely not okay to say that so yeah i i have massive mm. issues with anybody that suggests that that is a thing at all
2: <laughs> yeah it's and with crusher it's like you say for me i'm watching that episode i still think it's weird that she would like be okay with sleeping with Riker. But, yes but you're right mm. she's she's presented as heterosexual so she isn't going to want to sleep with a woman which is fine in terms of another character that i thought was quite interesting was uh is kira so kira in the Mm. mirror universe and i have a problem with women in ds9 in the mirror universe all being presented as bisexual or as lesbians because the mirror universe is a corrupt morally corrupt universe and so yeah you know their morally corrupt behavior is to be homosexual that's suggesting that homosexuality is something that's bad so yep. i have a real big problem with that
3: it's also with the intendant. It's also it's very closely associated with her narcissism because mm. you, you know in the, the first time we meet the intendant, she's she's sexually interested in Kira, and you know and she, she even has this line. She says, "Well, if you can't love me, who can?" <laughs> um, and there's this real sense that you know because we we know first of all she's a narcissist. She's obsessed with herself, you know, and and so she's interested in Kira because there's this kind of sexual thrill of having mm. sex with herself almost. Yeah. and and it's only sort of after that that we, that we then see her in relationships with other women. And so I think there's this kind of. Weird Weird, you know, quite outdated idea that homosexuality is is a kind of narcissistic behavior yeah. somehow, rather than um
1: yeah. And there's a know, deviance to more. it as well. Like that's how I think I, I agree yeah. with you, Clara. I feel like as much as there are a lot of elements of sexuality in the mirror universe that I love because I like to see them being more open about that stuff in Star Trek than we've seen previously. I agree that there's this deviancy almost that's presented with it that I do have a problem with, but I choose to just... This this is my own personal headcanon that we're going into now. But I choose to believe that Kira in the normal universe is bisexual, but she's just never had a chance to explore that because she's been too busy running away from Cardassians and hitting Cardassians. So that is my, you know, because I'm like, well, why would somebody's sexuality be different just because they're in the mirror universe? You're still the same person. Mm. You're just a product of, like, the upbringing that you've had there, which might make you not as nice a person potentially. But...
2: So I totally agree with that. I agree that I, I, in my mind, Kira is genuinely much more fluid with her sexuality. And the reason why I think that is Mm. because she engages in a relationship with Odo. And let's be honest, Odo,
0: Hmm.
2: I mean, there's no indication that Odo actually has a gender. He chooses to be male. And I know we see a female shapeshifter, but we're never shown like how the shapeshifters or the changelings actually procreate. Um, he, he 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 melds or he he um, blends with um, the shapeshifter, the changeling Lal. Is it Lal? I think it is Lal, who's the, the male changeling that he meets later in the CS9 series. Um, and they have this. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Had,
3: what is his name? Is it uh, uh, l- l- uh, no, Lal. No, Lal is Data's uh, daughter. What what is the guy's name? Data's called? Yeah. daughter. I was going to say Lars or something. It's not that. I don't um, remember,
1: but yes, I know the.
2: Yeah, mean?
3: the guy who's played by by uh, General Martok. <laughs> yeah,
1: so
2: he has the and, changeling. And yeah, actually, yeah, that's yeah. a good episode to talk about LGBT mm. because there is that 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 line in it that Quark says, you know, now is not the time for a, a changeling pride parade on the, uh, on, yeah. the, on the you know, on on the mm. um, the habitat ring or or, or whatever it's the promenade. So that mm. is an example of um two two characters who are trying to be ethnically like intrinsically themselves and they can't be because of discrimination but there's no indication mm. that Odo is actually got gen- a, a gender and he's also a fluid being mm. he's a flu- he's a fluid creature that um can become anything you know so like essentially mm. like Kira yeah. is having a sexual I assume it's sexual it must be Kira having a sexual relationship with a cre- with a, an alien or creature that doesn't have a gender and mm. can also become a yeah. mouse if he wants to or a, a bird or <laughs> he could become a woman or become a man i mean so i have to think yeah. kira has to be open-minded at least a little bit yeah in oh absolutely like so
1: yeah and I, I think just like everything else in ds9 you know everything is shades of gray in deep space 9 absolutely everything is shades of gray so why shouldn't sexuality be shades of gray as well you know why shouldn't we see a spectrum rather than seeing poles or seeing discrete sort of descriptions of sexuality why shouldn't it be well actually i'm just going to see who comes along and if we click then cool and 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 that's kind of the attitude mm. that that seems to pervade it for me anyway and fits with the with the whole ethos of the s9 as a show
3: certainly with ds9 i mean with kira certainly with kira you get I thought Clara, what you were going to say when you were saying this is what makes me think she's bisexual is that she has that remark in Rejoined which is quite interesting mm-hmm. at the beginning where she basically says so what's the problem? You know, yeah. you know her, so her reaction to the fact that which I think is a progressive uh, moment in itself in a way for Star Trek. So there's these two women who, you yes. know, there's this kind of issue are they, are they going to get together or whatever and lots of people have issues with it and I know that, that there's this kind of allegorical sidestepping where it's not about the fact that they're two women that everyone's having issues with it it's about this other thing. But at the same time, the fact that Kira, who is actually quite a conservative character, do you know what I mean? She's mm. got, she's quite religious. She's got this, you know, compared to kind of Starfleet standards, she's not a kind of enlightened utopian, uh, person exactly. She, in some ways, is a more conservative character, but for, on this issue, she's just like, I don't get it. What's the problem? You know, why shouldn't they get together, yeah. uh, if they want to? You know, why does anyone care? And Dr. Bashir says, Oh, but they think it's unnatural. And she's just like, well, that's ridiculous, you know? Yeah. So she has this quite instinctive idea that, that that kind of prejudice is just, absurd really you know know, it doesn't really it doesn't really make sense to her and i think that's quite interesting because you know a lot of these episodes they are partly looking at you know even like stigma as well they're they're looking at kind of bigotry and they're looking at prejudice and they're looking at where they get their kind of emotional drama is from the kind of the behavior of those who want to control these people and want to stop these relationships so even in say the outcast you know that kind of tribunal that is um you know, punishing her and criticizing it was punishing. I shouldn't say her. See, I've I've fallen into the pronoun problem. He's <laughs> punishing the character Sauron, and, and you know, an, an imposing kind of censure on them. You know, and and these are the the kind of emotional hearts heart of those episodes in some ways. And I think it's interesting. I mean, one of the questions that we kind of started off with was. What are the obstacles to Star Trek having, you know, had gay characters before? What What is it that's made this such a sticky issue? And there is, I think, repeatedly, there have been people who have been blocking it, whether that's producers, whether that's, you know, network people, whoever it is. I mean, going right back to early Next Generation, David Gerald, who wrote The Trouble with Tribbles, tried to write a an episode of The Next Generation, which would have two gay characters mm. in it. And basically, it blew up in such a big, sort of nasty row that I think that was one of the main reasons he ended up leaving Next Generation. And the way he tells it in that instance, it was it was largely, I think, this guy Leonard mazlish who was, um, you know, Gene Roddenberry's lawyer, who was very, had his, his really had his, his finger in the, you know, the pies of The Next Generation at that time and, and was exercising a lot of control, even even though he wasn't really a creative person and was by all accounts you know pretty awful bigoted nasty very like, almost sort of anti-Roddenberry he was the kind of what's that guy in the Lord of the Rings who, who's you know advising the the nice king and telling him to do awful things and so on you know he, he was like this awful kind of advisor you know the, the the devil on Roddenberry's shoulder almost and um the way Gerald tells it you know he was he was quite abusive to him. He said, I, I, "Well, actually, I've got I've got a quote here, and I'm not going to read it because I can't. I, I literally can't read it. I don't think, or we won't be able to put this episode out. But you know, he called him some really appalling names, as well as saying that he thought he was AIDS-infested, as he described it, because this episode mm-hmm. was dealing with the the kind of HIV issue. And it's sort of interesting, you know. Finally, when we get to Enterprise, they do do this kind of AIDS episode, but they're they, you know, it's like 15 years later or something by then, and it's not." It's not Star Trek yeah. doing something socially progressive, which it would have been if they'd made David Gerald's episode, you know, which in the end, he only managed to make as a, as a fan, one of the fan series that they, they actually made this episode and made it a, you know, a fan original series episode. And it's kind of interesting, you know, so again, you've got the slash people writing this kind of fiction that's, that's not official. You've got, you know, even David Gerald, a respected Star Trek writer having to turn his story into a kind of piece of fan fiction in a sense in order to get it out there you've got jerry taylor on voyager who said she was always committed to trying to get uh gay representation on voyager but she she said you know basically i in the end i gave up it was a battle i couldn't win because there were too many people blocking me and kate Mulgrew said the same thing about rick berman she said you know i would go to rick berman i say it again and again again and why aren't we having a gay character and he would just say oh it's not the time it's not the time you know just just be patient it's not the time right now really kind of sort of blocking this and and her response was then you know she wrote these voyager novels she managed to find a way of putting it into her novels so in the novel pathways you get again this quite sort of matter of fact mention of these two two male characters who've recently got into a relationship and it's completely kind of you know exactly what we're talking about the brushing the teeth or whatever it's not really a big thing it's a yeah kind of a normalized thing and you also get this maybe more interesting story about Harry Kim, where when Harry Kim was at the Academy, his roommate fell in love with him. His male roommate mm. fell in love with him and assumed yeah. that he was gay because he hadn't seen him because he wasn't you know out with women all the time or whatever and, and kind of just guessed that he, he must be gay. Which is kind of interesting because Harry Kim was one of those characters who I think there was this kind of potential around, could this be a gay character? And what, what you kept having in Star Trek around that time, because there was all this pressure to have a gay character, was having these characters where they're sort of thinking, well, can we make this the gay character? Um, and, you know, obviously they didn't do that with Harry Kim. Then we saw it again with Malcolm Reed in Enterprise. There was a lot of expectation that he was going to be a gay character. And then, you know, in fact, he wasn't. And even I think they're you know, they sort of played on that. I mean, if you look at the very last episode of Enterprise, these are the voyages, there's a... There's a kind of, again, a kind of in-joke about the fact that Malcolm Reed might or might not have been gay because they there's that scene where Riker is interviewing the various Enterprise crew members and the way it's edited, it cuts so that he asks a question to one person and another person answers it because he's, you know, interviewing lots of them. And he appears to ask Reed if he's attracted to Trip. And in fact, he's asking Hoshi if she's attracted to Trip. But it's like, again, that kind of tease of like, yeah, we know that you sort of thought we were doing this, but, you know, guess what, we weren't.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like they sort of they want to do it, but they're just not brave enough. So they're like, oh, we'll just mm. we'll just hint at it, and that'll do. Which, of course, it won't, because hints mm. isn't representation. So I read a quote by Ronald D. Moore who said
2: that actually. He dreaded being asked why are there not more gay characters in Star Trek when he was working on Star Trek because he actually said he could never think of a good reason for why there weren't more gay characters, and he said there is no good mm. reason, and that's sort of suggesting that the that there was a level of homophobia that at the level where people were making story decisions and people were making mm. um narrative decisions and where people were like you said turning down scripts that may have included you know characters who were gay in it in them. And it's not just about representation on screen of what's in our world. you know it, it, Star Trek itself is important because it's a means for public conversation about our society and our collective experience of uh, of our world. and one of the collective experiences of our world is the struggle of the LGBT, commu- LGBT community to achieve equality with everybody else and so and that's something that we've seen you know I- even just in recent years with like gay marriage being legalized in the US so it's part of our society part of our collective history um, of the western world and Star Trek should represent that and so to it, to deliberately maybe prevent gay characters being integrated into the narrative of the franchise is not just homophobic it's kind of like wasting your chance to actually say something meaningful mm. and it's it's negligent if you're a star trek producer or a star trek writer because if you wanted to work on a show where you know you just want to make exciting tv or you want to make exciting adventure stories every week then you should go work on a different show because that's star trek's never been about mm-hmm. that star trek's always been about talking about the human experience and about making uh par- make, making parallel connections with our society and with our world
3: and there's an interesting story actually in relation to that, I think, which is that, which kind of goes to sort of speak to that issue of the kind of the, the creative types who are on board with the kind of Star Trek message and the producers and the executive types who, who maybe aren't, which is that in the, um, in the making of the episode, The Offspring, when Data has a daughter, uh, creates a daughter, uh, which also has interesting things to say about gender because he lets the child choose its mm. gender. But, but leaving that aside, there's this scene in, in there where apparently it was written in the script that Guinan was supposed to give this speech about sexuality, basically. And, and she essentially had this speech saying, well, you know, when a man and a woman are interested in each other, then they do this and they do that or whatever. And apparently Whoopi Goldberg said, come on, guys, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that. This is Star Trek. We You know, we can do better than that. Um, And, you know, insisted on changing the line so that it didn't say it was about a man and a woman. But then there was this kind of issue where taking that a bit further it was decided to have a same-sex couple holding hands in the background of one of the shots just to kind of sort of emphasise that point that there might be same-sex couples around which we do see in Discovery actually as well as Culber and Stamets I think in that party scene we see Mm -hmm. you know some same-sex couples hooking up kind of in the background and it's not really you you know it's not really remarkable but apparently the producers got wind of this and David Livingston who was the kind of producing director uh, at the time on TNG came down to the you, you know to the studio floor basically from his office and stopped them from doing it and basically said you're not doing that you're not having Having these, you're not showing the same-sex relationship even in the background. So that was very much, you know, literally a kind of producer interfering and blocking them from, yeah. from doing something like that. And I think when you talk about homophobia, I mean, particularly after Gene Roddenberry died, it has been largely straight men who've been running... Star Trek and you know whether it's it's a kind of really vicious nasty homophobia whether it's just a kind of thoughtless you know a bit like that kind of banter that we were talking about Gene Roddenberry was saying that you know he had this I mean I think Rick Berman is a big figure here you know Kate Mulgrew sort of basically said well rick berman would always say no to this david gerald said uh there's a, an interview where he, he describes berman as a raging homophobe so that was his impression was that it you know it went further than that he was actually actively opposed to this idea because he you know he for his own reasons then you get someone like brannan braga who i think is just looking at his kind of record on the issue it's not necessarily that he's exactly homophobic but he seems to be very insensitive or certainly there you know in those days i don't know what he's like now you know hopefully he's improved but certainly he was very insensitive to these issues so there's you can read online there's an interesting discussion from a guy who a gay writer who came into pitch to voyager and he said that Brandon Braga made him feel very uncomfortable during this pitch session because every storyline he pitched, he basically misinterpreted it as if the guy was pitching a gay storyline. So kind of playing into this idea of why is Star Trek not doing gay storylines? And the guy was saying he had one idea for a story with Harry Kim and this alien woman and Braga was sort of deliberately misunderstanding him to think that he wanted Harry Kim to get together with a guy. And this guy was saying it was making him feel really uncomfortable because he was like, he's not listening to my story ideas he's just making jokes about the fact that i'm gay basically and then again mm. you sort of get the same thing with enterprise where if you look at the, the blu-ray interviews for enterprise you know you have these i think it's an in, there's an interview with dominic keating who doesn't come out of this very well i don't think because there was this issue about whether malcolm reed might be gay or not Basically, Dominic Keating said he had no idea about this until he saw a thing in a magazine or something saying, is this a gay character? And he was sort of horrified, basically. That was his idea. He was like, I didn't sign on to play a gay character. I don't want to play a gay character. And then he rang up Bran and Braga and said, you know, what's all this about the, about the gay character? And Braga's response was to basically play a practical joke on him to wind him up because he thought it was hilarious the idea that he you know might have ended up playing this gay character say oh yeah you know i've got all these interviews lined up with the gay press and everything and we're going to do this you know big thing about it exactly what we see with discovery now where you know you get wilson cruz and anthony rapp doing these interviews with gay publications and so on and doing that in a positive way but you know for braga it seemed like that was just a a kind of joke to wind up his straight friend Mm. into the idea of you, you know how people might think you're gay and it's just kind of it's not, whether you call that homophobia exactly or not, you know, it's it's not necessarily vicious bigotry, but it's certainly a kind of insensitivity and a lack of inclusiveness and a lack of really taking that issue seriously that is, you know, so that may be part of the answer. You know, if we're saying why, why has this been such a difficult issue for so long, it is partly people like that standing in the way and kind of, you know, refusing to take on board this is an important issue
1: yeah definitely it's like the locker room talk side of things as you say you know haha you know he's gay whatever you know it's it's not it, it's mm. all tied up with toxic masculinity really in the sense that you know in order to be a man you have to be macho and you have to you know sleep with all these women and all the rest of it you know it's it's like if there's any hint that you might be gay then there's a question over that and and you know men whose masculinity is very fragile can struggle to with those sort of accusations so i think it's all tied up with that sort of thing and the issues around gender and the way that we treat the sexes
2: it's also this idea that if if they're talking about appealing to a certain audience it's also this idea that hollywood still seems to have which is that straight men aged between like 19 to 45 which is a big percentage of the um film uh, film go film going audience or t v mm. audience won't watch stories about gay people won't watch stories about people who mm. are from different ethnic backgrounds and won't watch stories about women so you mm. know we have to make a film that's going to appeal to these men and so we're going to sell them short by basically sending them something or or, or giving them something that is about white straight men and we're not going to show the diversity or or or, or of, of, of gender or of you know ethnic background or of sexuality because we don't think these people can cope with it and i have attended numerous i mean i live in a I live in a big city multicultural city so i live with uh i can imagine it'd be different in different areas of the world i'm lucky in the sense that i have a community around me in where i live where it's very diverse and i work in a work in an institution that's very diverse so my experience is quite different but i have attended numerous films over the last few years that I would say were about gay storylines or contained gay romances. And a good percentage of people in the audience weren't gay, you know? So this idea yeah. that mm. only gay people are going to watch films about, about, about gay people and only, like, only women are going to watch films about women. An example recently that, in the last year was the, the idea that men wouldn't watch a, a film about a female superhero, you know men wouldn't watch wonder mm-hmm. woman because the main hero the main character is is a, is a woman um, and countless men watched wonder woman you know and i don't think mm-hmm. it was just because gargodo is gorgeous i mean she is gorgeous but they watched it also <laughs> cuz you know it's a good storyline and she's she's a good actress and it's fun, a fun fun film and i think if you're if you're female or if you're gay you've been watching storylines about straight people <laughs> and straight men for mm-hmm. Your entire life, so the idea that you have to do that, but that straight men wouldn 't be able to cope with a storyline about a gay woman or or, or a gay man uh, yeah. <laughs> you know is a bit ridiculous
1: really yeah absolutely
3: i think it 's also i mean maybe it 's also that just people who make i mean this is this isn a generalization, but you know maybe it does partly come down to a difference between the kind of creative people and the more businessy people and someone like Rick Berman. I mean, aside from, you, you know, his own personal views and, you know, whether he has any gay friends and what his kind of attitude is if one of his kids turns out to be gay or whatever, there's also like, i think he comes to star trek very much as a business person as an executive as someone you know making these things and he has a background i think in kids tv before that he'd, he'd worked on some kids tv pros and kids tv program is often surprisingly conservative and you get these kind of attitudes of like oh boys won't watch a show about a female mm. character but you, you know and you get that thing but girls will watch anything and that's the kind of assumption and therefore we might as well make everything about you know straight white males because you know then everyone will watch it and it's not you know as you say clara it's not really true but it's also so it taps into this kind of conservative streak, which is not necessarily—I mean, it is socially conservative, but it's also partly about just not being willing to risk anything that might, you know, end up in you getting less money in the in the long run. And and you know, in a way, sadly, that's probably quite a big part of it. But it's interesting when you when you know from the other perspective. I mean, you see, so you've got Whoopi Goldberg saying, I, "I want this to go further," contrast to Brannon Braga and. You know, and Dominic Keating, who is not obviously an executive or whatever, but had this quite strong reaction about not wanting to play a gay character. It's interesting, you know, there's this story about the filming of The Outcast that Jonathan Frakes has said many times since then that he thought that the the character that he was in love with should have been played by a man, and Mm -hmm. it would have made the point more effectively. And, you know, there's no particular reason why these androgynous characters have to always be played by women, except that they're usually in storylines with male characters and that that therefore makes it somehow acceptable to the to the audience because it makes it less of a gay relationship somehow and you know his view was that he he obviously you, you know would have been happy playing commander riker in a relationship with a character that was played by a man he didn't seem to have a problem with that but you know for someone like dominic keating that seems to be you know a really awful embarrassing sort of thing that he might you know find himself in that kind of and braga prank sort of almost tricked into playing this character that he didn't sign up
2: i, I understand what you're saying i think when you're talking about business uh, the difference between like maybe the people who are involved in the business of making the show so making it sure that it, it gets enough audience figures that it's making money versus the people who are in the creative part of the show who are the ones who are trying to write the storylines and come up with the characters the problem with that is that star trek is more than just average television. I mean, I know I'm going to say that as a Trekkie fan. Everyone's like, yeah, of course you're going to say that. But Gene Roddenberry started out with a vision. He wanted to make television that broke barriers, was about social commentary, that got people to think, that widened people's minds. He didn't just want to make television that was financially successful. So, Mm. you know, if you Mm. want to make television financially successful, and you think the best way to do that is to have some sort of heterosexual romance, then there's loads of tv shows out like, like that you know then fine go watch something else but star trek's a bit more than that star trek's about like i said a, a social commentary on our world and so you can't you can't cut out a whole section of people a whole group of people because they exist in our world so they should exist in in the star trek narrative so if they're making an argument that a, a gay a gay relationship is it would, it would uh, disrupt viewing figures and would cause um, the show some sort of financial difficulty because it wasn't appealing to an audience that was going to you know pay money for it or whatever then they're really on the wrong show does that make sense I think mm, yeah. mm. then they should go work for something else <laughs> So,
3: Absolutely. I don't know though whether I mean it's interesting. J- just thinking of it in terms of the actors who've played these these various roles. I mean, so you so you had someone like Dominic Keating who really didn't want to be pigeonholed into a gay park because that's not what he he sort of wanted. I mean, there's also this sort of question like, do we expect the because someone performs in Star Trek that 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 we expect them to live up to kind of Star Trek ideals? Because someone like William Shatner arguably is not you know he's not gene roddenberry do you know what i mean like politically he's coming from a very different place to probably the majority of star trek fans and to the majority of kind of star trek's messages in a sense and i think you also when it comes to sexuality there's also this sort of question assuming that the i mean obviously you might have uh gay actors playing straight roles i mean george takei if Sulu ever had a romance with a woman would have you know presumably been in that situation he'd have been expected to play that i mean i know it's interesting, say, so Terry Farrell, when they were filming Rejoined, I read an interview with her at the time, and she said she found it quite difficult. And she, you know, she found doing the, the kiss with the female, you know, with the other actress, sort of emotionally difficult. She, she, she found it a difficult experience as an actor. And that's not so that she didn't think it was the right, you know, creatively the right thing to do or whatever. Mm. And at the time, back in the nineties, I sort of thought, oh, come on, that's a bit pathetic. You know, that's your job. Come on, you know, get with the program sort of thing. But, you know, on the other hand, that obviously was something that she, felt was a challenge for her to sort of feel comfortable with it. And I think Garrett Wong as well, when there was that sort of question around the possibility that Harry Kim might be gay, because there was this big campaign called the Voyager Visibility Project that was pushing for a gay character in Voyager. He he gave an interview where he sort of you, you know, without wanting to sound too negative about it he, he sort of clearly didn't like the idea that harry kim might turn out to be gay it wasn't really what he wanted and it's interesting that with discovery we've got this gay couple and of course they're both played by gay actors and that's been quite a big part of it and they're not only do they happen to be gay actors they're quite my understanding is they're sort of quite well known in some ways for like they've, they've both performed in rent for example right and they've they've both i think played gay roles before that have kind of had some kind of um, currency in, in a sense in the LGBT. To community in some way so they, they've got that kind of they've got gay credibility i suppose in a way in a way that if you had a straight character a straight actor playing a gay character maybe they wouldn't have that and i'm just curious whether that influences things whether that is you know it, it Is it important with Discovery, not only do we have these gay characters, but that we have gay actors playing gay characters? Does that make a difference somehow? Does that, because that adds a sort of different, an extra level of representation in a way? Yes. I mean, we had Zachary Quinto playing Spock. He's a gay actor, Mm -hmm. but, you know, he's not playing, he's not playing, uh, slash, you know, (laughs) Kirk and Spock. He's not playing gay Spock, is he? You know, he's playing a straight Spock. Does that sort of make a difference bringing that in and, and having these gay actors playing these gay characters and sort of, being aware of that i suppose in the material around the show as, as well as in the show itself
1: yeah definitely i think it does i think you hit the nail on the head really there with saying well it's a double level of representation because we're making the fact that these actors are gay visible as well you know more gay people in the media that young people get to see when they're having questions about their sexuality the better because they can see it normalized, they can realize that it's okay and it's it's not something that they need to worry about. And and so any representation that we can have there is great. So I think the visibility is the most important thing. The fact that it's something that's out there for people to see being normalized, being treated as everyday. Absolutely. But I think as well, on top of that, I think they can bring something more to it because they understand how to play that part in a way that, like you said, maybe Terry Farrell, even though she has no issues with people being gay, she's, she's got no problem with anybody's sexuality. For her personally, it's a challenge for her to go and kiss a woman because she's not attracted to women. So for them to be able to do that in a way where they can be more comfortable with it makes the scenes more natural. And I think that that also brings an element to it as well. So that's why I think it's a good thing.
2: I think what I would like to see just generally in television and film is more gay actors being given roles. And I agree with you. I think in Discovery, you're right. They bring their experience as like homosexuals to the roles themselves as well. So that like, you're right. It's double representation. It's great because there's gay actors who are getting roles whereas before maybe they wouldn't have had as many options role-wise because of discrimination in the industry. But also they're playing gay characters, which is great because then we're actually seeing gay characters on screen. But I'd also like to see more gay actors just get in roles altogether. And so one example of that is like in Lord of the Rings, well, in the Hobbit movies, I think there's four gay actors who play main characters and they're not playing necessarily, I mean, their characters aren't necessarily sexual, you know, because there's no real sexuality in Lord of the Rings, let's be honest. So, you know, we don't know whether these characters are gay or straight, and it's not really part of the storyline. But they're playing quite, what I would say is what people would deem to be kind of straight type characters, like masculine, fighting, very sort of like what you were saying, very um, male type characters. Um, And the actors themselves are gay. And I think that's great, because People aren't judging their sexuality, they're judging their quality Mm. of their acting, which is kind of what you want eventually. You want to get to a point where it doesn't matter and everybody's treated as an individual um, and there's so much representation on screen and there's just so much diversity that you are treating the person as a character and a person rather than saying, oh, that's a gay actor or that's a gay person or that's a black person. Black actor, or that's a black person. You want to get to the point where yeah. everybody has their role, and everyone's story is told, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I'm just wondering whether there's an element of what we've seen in Star Trek before has been where we've had kind of same-sex representation. We've had, you know, we had, say, Rejoined with the two women. We had Clara touched on earlier with the the Mirror Universe. You know, we have Esri Dax and, and the Intendant. We have the Intendant kind of flirting with Kira and so on. And, and there's problematic elements of that. Something like that, it sort of feels like you can have the potential for these lesbian characters, but there's a kind of sexiness attached to it in a way. Whereas yeah. I think with the male characters in Discovery... It's not represented as kind of a sexy in that sense. It is is more kind of romantic. It is more kind of just like a a normal relationship. And I'm sort of wondering, you you know, uh, how long are we going to wait before we see a female same sex relationship on Star Trek that is not, in a sense, playing towards a male audience or playing up the kind of sexiness of it, but is a bit more feels a bit more real because you know and does it matter to say that to say that yes we've got gay representation now but actually you know we've got gay representation for gay men have we got gay representation for gay women or do do you know what i mean because it's not it's not necessarily the same i mean you you might be identified with you know gay women might feel identified with gay men to a certain extent because of being part of the same marginalized Mm -hmm. group but at the same time it's a very different experience very different stories there and you know how long do we have to wait for that issue to be dealt with
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people, when a gay male couple were revealed to be putting being put into discovery, that a lot of people are like, oh, that's great, because, you know, normally they put the women in, because the women are somehow more acceptable, mm-hmm. because it's the straight male audience watching it, and somehow they find women kissing more acceptable than men kissing for reasons that i'm not going to go into <laughs> in detail but i think we all know um but you're absolutely but you're absolutely right you know i think that a lot of representation in inverted commas of gay women in media certainly in the past not necessarily so much now but certainly in the past has appeared to be representation but isn't really because it's just titillation for men it's not about mm representing the women and their relationships and the script has been written by men it's their vision of what women's relationships look like when two women are in a relationship it's not what you know the women who maybe are in those relationships in reality haven't had a lot of input into that it doesn't necessarily look like what they recognize their relationships to be like and it's very sexualized and it's very you know played up for men to watch so That is a problem because it makes it look like there's a lot of representation for gay women in media, and there isn't as much as there might appear to be because it's actually written for men and not written for women. I agree that that is a problem. Now, looking back into the history of Star Trek, I don't necessarily think that Star Trek has that problem in that it's written for titillation in that way, but I think that it it does suffer from the problem of, well, we'll put the women in because that's more acceptable. I definitely think that that's what we've seen in the past. And in the Mirror Universe, yeah, maybe there is a bit of, oh, look, the women are kissing in there. I don't get that from Rejoined. I don't feel that in Rejoined at all. That feels quite natural to me. And I, no, I, sure. I'd
3: sure.
1: i be interested to see what input they had um, from gay women in writing Rejoined because that feels a lot more natural to me than, say, the Mirror Universe stuff, which is very much written to the, oh, look, the girls are kissing. Ooh. You know, so... I agree. I I would like to see representation on both sides of the fence. But, But also, you know, we need to see representation of bisexual characters because bisexual erasure and bisexual invisibility is a massive problem in society where people are read to be the sexuality of whatever relationship they're currently in so if they're in a relationship with somebody the opposite sex they're read to be straight if they're in a relationship with somebody of the same sex they're read to be gay and actually that's not necessarily the case so the invisibility Mm -hmm. of people who are bisexual is a problem which is why i think as well with rejoined because we're seeing dax having this relationship potentially with a woman and we know that she's also had relationships with men that is is a good thing Mm -hmm. and even though there are some issues in rejoined I think it actually does a great job in a lot of ways Um, and also in the mirror universe as well we see the intendant kind of but she's kind of omnisexual I think she'll just sleep with whoever she feels like sleeping with at the time so I'm not sure it's a great example but you know
3: she seems like a bit of a kind of pervert, anyway. You know? Yeah, she's so. I mean, like she's she's like got every kind of sort of. She's geeky, a love the one you're with kind sort of woman. Of, she's a vamp. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She's yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's so it's kind of I don't know. It it sort of cheapens all of that. I mean, it does aside from it the does. sort of titillating element of it. It sort of it makes it all seem both ridiculous and kind of sinister at the yeah. same time. If you know what I mean. Her sexuality is such a sort of absurd mm. performance that it's kind of. I'm not sure it's really doing anything all that positive.
2: So moving on to Discovery now on the latest two episodes, I have read a lot of criticism of the last two episodes online because of the fact that obviously, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Discovery, go and watch Discovery and then come back and listen to the rest of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I um, because of the fact that Colbert was killed by Ash Tyler, stroke, Vok, and also because now it turns out that Stamets is, if not dead, he's basically in some sort of mental coma other world ether type place mm-hmm. so basically one gay character has been made immobile and the other one's been killed i've read the criticism that this is like a, a trope of what happens to gay characters across television and film i think they call it yeah. bury your gays bury,
1: bury your gays yep.
2: yeah exactly and so what do you guys think of that do you think this is actually the case of
1: that or is it well should we have to, do we have to wait and see okay so i understand the reaction because we have to take the reaction in context. And the reaction is in the context of the fact that Star Trek, as much as I love it as a show, has systematically failed for 50 years to give us gay representation. As much as we've had all these little hints and, oh, they've tried and they've waved at it, but they've never done it, not properly. And the fact that they've completely failed to do it and then they've just started to do it and they've given it us in a really great way and they've handled it really brilliantly up to now and then they dropped the ball in a way that, There's no way that the people who are writing that show are not aware of that trope. And I absolutely accept the fact that there is plot to come that may make this better than it currently appears. However, they must have anticipated this reaction. They must have been aware of how this would be perceived. And if they didn't, they're incredibly naive is all I've got to say, because... If we'd had loads and loads and loads of gay characters in Star Trek and some of them had been happy and some of them had not been happy and then this had happened, it wouldn't have been as much of an issue. And to kind of address a few comments that I've seen like around the Babel Conference and other places, you know, it doesn't mean we can't kill the gay characters. That's not what this is about. This is about every time we have a gay couple that appears to be in a happy relationship, we have to ruin it because... Being gay is deviant and we have to, you know, they can't possibly end up happy because how could we show them as happy because that's us say normalizing it and saying that it's okay. So the fact that Star Trek's just not done that for so long, and then they've now done what a lot of people feel like is a betrayal, that is why it is a problem. Now, personally, I am prepared to reserve judgment and wait to see what they're gonna do because I know that there might be plot things that might happen with it. But even having said that. I still do think that it's a little bit disappointing what they've done. Now, I really hope they come up with an awesome plot reason why they had to do this and they explain it all and it's all fine, but we'll see.
3: And I suppose the issue is 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 we have this kind of, you know, as you say, this kind of 50-year history of being let down, in a Mm. sense, by Star Trek. Do you know what I mean? Especially on this issue, you you know, and maybe on some other issues as well. But, you know, this is something that they have talked about, having gay representation on Star Trek for so long and failed to do it and failed to do it and failed to do it. And uh, personally, I have to say, I, I felt even, say, with Beyond, there was an element of a letdown there because I feel that they'd sort of talked it up as this big thing. And actually, the way it was shot in that film is so... I mean, there's one thing for kind of making it seem natural and not a big deal, but I feel like they made it such a small deal that actually it could go over the heads of a large proportion of the audience who weren't Mm. primed for it. And I did sort of wonder whether they'd shot it was also to do with... I know there were some issues about because they were filming in a very conservative country and obviously these are films that have to sell abroad and so on. It sort of felt like they were really doing it in the least... Like like the The impulse in terms of the script was obviously good, but the way the film kind of handled it, I felt was slightly... Again, a bit conservative, a bit kind of cautious, and so I suppose maybe that's part of it with discovery. I mean, it's difficult, I think, for people who aren't sort of invested in in that sort of issue to understand the visceral mm. response, maybe because yeah, like, so to me it didn't I mean, I was shocked when the doctor died, although actually, to be honest, I'd worked it out from you know accidentally. Absorbing spoilers on Twitter that I was trying not to read. Uh, So I was kind of expecting something like that to happen, but I still found it shocking. But I didn't, it didn't sort of activate this whole level of of feeling let down, of feeling distressed, of feeling kind of, you know, some people felt very sort of traumatized by Mm. it almost, I think. I mean, Andy Vanderkult wrote a really interesting blog post on this issue, which I, you know, I'd recommend anyone to go and read if they're interested in this subject. After that, I think she was saying she'd got kind of backlash from people saying, well, you know, I didn't have an issue with this or whatever. And I suppose, like personally, I didn't have an issue with it, but I can sort of see if given the strength of feeling other people have had to it and I can understand like you say if you understand the context you can kind of appreciate that yeah I do think it's a strange decision and it's particularly strange given the showrunner is a gay man as you say they're very tapped into all of this stuff it's not like they're they're not just like blundering around and they don't know what they're doing they're kind of they were aware there was going to be crisis management that they would have to do in order to run this storyline so
1: well exactly because Wilson Cruz, I didn't actually see it myself, but I do believe that Wilson Cruz actually said some stuff about it immediately afterwards on After Trek, which means that they knew mm. what the rea- he knew what the reaction was going to be. <laughs> you know, mm. they were aware of what the reaction was going to be. So I'm hoping that the payoff is going to be so awesome that we can understand why, despite the fact that they knew what the reaction was going to be, that they still chose to do it. So
2: I, mm. I didn't have as much of a visceral reaction, I, I would
1: imagine, than somebody from the LGBT
2: community, but that's because I'm not a member of the LGBT community, but I can totally understand the visceral, visceral reaction that people had. This is something that's been on my mind recently, because, and I won't go into spoilers, but I'm a big fan of the X-Files, and there's been things that have been happening in the X-Files, and the new series of the X-Files, that I have had a visceral reaction to. There's ideas that have been introduced that have actually been, I would say, offensive and distressing to me as a woman. And I have to say, I have Mm. found them offensive and I have found them, I have had a visceral reaction to that. And I've thought, and there's there's been the same situation like showrunners and actors and people have been like, no, wait, wait, wait. Just like reassuring people on Twitter, like, don't worry, Mm -hmm. it's all going to work out the end. There'll be a bigger payoff at the end. But I can't, I feel there's a certain responsibility when you're making creative decisions in a TV series, especially when you have a huge number of fans who are from groups of people who you know these creative decisions are going to upset like if you make a decision to like kill off a gay character you know it's going to upset the gay community if you make a decision to show the abuse of a very favored um beloved female character you know it's going to piss off the female fans mm. you make these creative decisions and then it's sort of like you on them later on you know it's like mm. it's okay because you know mm. it, unless because mm. x was Z, yeah yeah and and i think but actually you can't really on something like that it's 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 still shit later on it's just that you're saying that at th- the end of it is going to lead to some sort of bigger more profound message at the very end and i think the problem is we don't always trust writers of tv shows yeah. especially when the series is short when it's like a an event series so especially when like mm-hmm. it's only a certain amount of episodes you think how can they resolve this in the time they have left so i think mm-hmm. that's a worry but also yeah.
3: i think maybe it ties into the fact that it's an odd situation you know although we watch discovery on netflix it's not like uh, house of cards where they drop the whole season at once, you know, because it is being, well, it's not even being, I don't know why, for whatever reason, they're doing it a week at a time, you know, even though it's not being broadcast, they're doing it a week at a time. Mm. But at the same time, they're doing a short season that they have planned out from beginning to end and probably, I don't know if they have it all written from beginning to end, but they, you know, they have it planned out in a lot of detail compared to, say, previous Star Trek's where they're kind of, when there's serialisation, they're kind of make it up on the fly, you know, like mm. uh, Enterprises, Indie Arc, I think. You can kind of see from the way that story is written a certain amount of kind of scrambling and thinking, well, what the hell do we do here? And how do we get from this place to that place? And, you know, trying to work it out on the spot. And I think, so they can say, well, we've got this all planned out for this whole season. It's all very cleverly structured and it's all going to work and so on. But the fact is they are releasing it week after week and they are going to have this kind of temporary issue but i also think it's really it's a very strange situation to be in where i mean if you think about you know with with spock and when they killed off spock in the wrath of khan uh there was all these attempts to kind of trick people into thinking they weren't killing off spock so that the impact would be stronger when he dies so you know they have that bit at the mm. beginning where he appears to die you know sort of fake out death you know now we've got sort of almost the opposite where they go for this big drama of apparently killing and a major like, character.
1: oh it's okay
3: um and then and then they walk it back immediately and they're like oh no we didn't mm. really kill them that seems that seems a very strange situation to be in creatively to basically yeah. say oh yeah you know that thing that really that you found really moving and shocking and made you gasp yeah that didn't you know it doesn't really mean anything it's just you know there's a reset button around the corner and it's like i mean yeah that that seems a weird position to put yourself in that you do yeah, something very much so. for kind of impact and then because the impact is actually quite negative. You you have to kind of minimise what you've already done creatively. It seems a weird... seems yeah. like they've, put, they've walked themselves into a strange box. But I guess it's true. We'll have to wait and see it does. where that storyline goes. It and, does. And how it resolves itself.
1: And I am prepared to wait and see what they're going to do. And maybe the payoff will be worth it. But it does seem to me a very odd creative decision to potentially jeopardise the first bit of real gay representation we've ever had on star trek i think that's a very odd cre- creative decision mm. to take personally but i didn't mm. probably have mm. quite as visceral a reaction to it as a lot of people but i did immediately have a reaction of knowing exactly what the reaction was going to be <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah it's it's an interesting choice so we'll just have to wait and see where it goes
3: Well, it seems like in in true kind of 90s Star Trek fashion, we've ended on a bit of a downer here uh, with our (laughs) discussion of LGBT representation in a way that probably if we'd recorded this, you know, a fortnight ago, we'd have been on a bit of a high. But I mean... Mm. why don't we turn things around a bit why don't we think about the future why don't we think about what would you two like to see or even let's let's look at it in two ways you know a what would you like to see more of in the future but also because we have talked a bit about missed opportunities you you know if you could go back into the past and and change certain aspects of how star trek's engaged with this issue what would you go back and change
1: oh that's a difficult one um in terms of going back and changing i mean really we just needed to see all of this so much earlier I think Deep Space Nine, looking at the timings and sort of when things were going on, I suspect Next Gen was just a tiny little bit too early. And I know with the timing of Brookside in the UK, which was about 94, that was around about the end of Next Gen. So I think that would have been a bit too soon. So I think Deep Space Nine, especially with the way that it was sort of more playing with the sort of set, way of doing television and it was pushing the envelope in terms of storytelling and the way that it brought in all of these secondary characters and everybody was a bit more gray and ambiguous and we didn't really have good guys and bad guys in quite the same way that i think it would have been the perfect platform for us to do something like that because they were pushing the envelope in so many other areas that it just would have made sense and the timing was perfect for it so Maybe with the whole rejoined storyline, we could have we could have played with something more there. I mean, the trill, to me, are just fascinating in terms of their potential for us to talk about gender issues, about sexuality issues. You know, what I mean, are they all bisexual? Do they consider themselves to be transgender? I mean, essentially, you know, realistically, they are transgender because they've been different genders throughout the life of the symbiont. They have memories of the previous hosts. So really that's that's your perfect transgender issue right there to sort of bring in and talk about and and address and the trill are just so fascinating so the fact that we didn't do that is kind of disappointing but maybe we can bring the trill back in in discovery and maybe we can have some trill characters and maybe we can talk Mm -hmm. more there about all of these types of gender and sexuality issues and all these interesting gray areas where well, actually, maybe it's not all just about RUX or RUY. It's all about, well, it's a spectrum and people fall at all different points on that spectrum. And it's, I think they're a great vehicle for exploring that. So I think I'd like to see the trail come back and for us to play a lot more with that.
2: I think I would have included a gay couple on Voyager. I think I would have included a gay couple on Voyager. And I think I also, because you could explore a gay couple and their experience of being gay but you could also explore the idea of a couple that were together and far from home and mm. i mean like that mm. would be an interesting mm. idea so a couple that had started met on earth and started out um their relationship on earth had gone through starfleet or had started met in starfleet and thought they were going on a short mission and then you know, so maybe they were a new, a, new, a new couple, they just got together, and now they're on this long mission where they were stuck together for years. And how does, how, how does that work, you know? And you could have made them gay and it would have been fine. That's what I would have liked to have seen.
3: Oh, well, in a parallel universe.
1: <laughs> imagine if there were like two exes who were like divorced and they ended up on yeah. Voyager and oh, they yeah. had to spend the time together for seven years. That would be amazing. <laughs>
2: imagine, the, imagine the sexual tension.
3: <laughs> Isn't that basically the Orville? Isn't that the premise of the Orville? <laughs> Well, I think what I, you know, what I would quite like to see, is it's just looking, I mean, I think I'd love to see both those things in an in ideal parallel universe version of, of, of Star Trek in the nineties. But I would quite like to see, and this is something that Discovery could do, you know, this character from those novels that I was talking about, Burgoyne one mm-hmm. he, five, he, she, it has a peculiar name as well. You know, really kind of playing with this idea of sort of alien sexuality and something that may be very foreign, very different to us you know, Star Trek is able to play with that. I mean, Clara, you were saying that, you know, you see Odo as as not necessarily uh, entirely a gendered being, but I mean, they could have gone with that. They could have, you know, they could have played that a bit more and they, you know, Star Trek could do more to kind of explore these characters. You know, we've had a lot of these episodes dealing with, Say androgynous characters, but what we get is cogenitor, we get a, a woman who is made up to look a bit like David Bowie, basically, and that 's our kind of idea of what androgyny is is represented by. You know the, Star Trek could do more, Star Trek could do more to do more kind of creative, more unusual, more interesting, more kind of thought provoking things with these issues uh, and maybe that's something to look forward to in future Well, okay it's been great having you on the show this week to talk about lgbt representation in star trek if the listeners want to hear more of you on the trek fm network or to get in touch with you on the internet what's the best way for them to find you
1: well if they want to hear more of me on trek fm they can hear me on to the journey which is our star trek voyager podcast along with my co-hosts there zach and suzanne Uh, If they want to look me up on Twitter, my handle there is Weeble, and they can always find me in the Babel Conference.
3: Well, it's been fun talking about LGBT representation in Star Trek from the 90s through to the present day, but that's not the only thing that we have been talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a listen to everything else you might've missed on the network.
0: Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. (coughs) This episode is one of those tropes, like why is Jack the Ripper... Something that just completely still captivates us in storytelling. It's interesting. People are always obsessed. like you. Always see some new documentary on the History Channel. Like we found the new Jack the Ripper. Was Jack the Ripper a woman? Was Jack the Ripper a political figure? Was he a part of the royal family? It's like, do we care at this point? The Six O Two Club.
3: Yes, I, I, you're you're absolutely right. Um, I love the fact that the theme of of PTSD carries through, and. The very first thing that they do is they throw at you, they double underline, circle, and bold the point that revenge doesn't chase the demons away. Earl Grey.
2: I dragged him over to Seth MacFarlane, who had never met before, and I said, so you're a big Star Trek Next
1: Gen fan? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm Lieutenant Commander Shelby.
2: And he looked at me and he went, that means you're Elizabeth Dennehy. I suppose that's why someone like you sits in the shadow of a great man, passing off one command after he
0: started saying <laughs> all of my lines to me. And we started doing all of our scenes and lines. Isn't that hilarious? Mm-hmm. Warp 5. The Guardians are the Borg. That's it. The Guardians are the Borg. Tune in later on. We might talk about it. <laughs> Let's write that episode together. All right. <laughs> See, but the thing is that these, these, these sphere builders, though, like they, they must think of themselves as the guardians of the galaxy. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and join in the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please do leave us a star rating and a written review at the same time. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone and in most third-party apps and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. If you'd also like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Duncan and I would love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to get involved and do just that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at Trek.fm slash contact. You can also find the network on Twitter at Trek FM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can find Duncan and I on the Babel conference as well, and you can find us both on Twitter, Duncan at Barrett's Books and myself, Tony, at Blackhole Media. And you can also find me hosting my own podcast, the Xcast and X-Files podcast, if you type that into Twitter and Facebook. So thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Primitive Culture. We'll be back soon to discuss more history, culture, and how Star Trek relates to it. You're blended already.